My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not be afraid any longer, little flock, for your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your belongings and give alms. Provide money bags for yourselves that do not wear out, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven that no thief can reach nor moth destroy. For where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. Gird your loins and light your lamps and be like servants who await their master's return from a wedding, ready to open immediately when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds vigilant on his arrival. Amen, I say to you, he will gird himself, have them recline at table and proceed to wait on them. And should he come in the second or third watch and find them prepared in this way, blessed are those servants. Be sure of this, if the master of the house had known the hour when the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be prepared, for at an hour you do not expect, the Son of Man will come. The Gospel of the Lord. At first glance at this gospel this week, I closed the book with all the horrific news over the last few weeks. It just wasn't what I wanted to read. Mass shootings where people at a a summer festival, a bar, a Walmart, were gunned down in acts of evil by demented, disturbed souls. Those understandably grabbed all of our collective attention, but they obscured equally evil stories that didn't get the same attention, like the man the other night who went on a stabbing spree in California where he killed four people, wounded two others as he was driven by what authorities described were robbery, hate, and homicide. Or how last Sunday in England at this museum, a 17-year-old boy saw this six-year-old, grabbed him, and threw him five stories from a viewing platform. The teenager didn't even know the boy. And after the incident was just described as eerily calm, as ten strangers restrained him until the police arrived. To hear these widespread examples of senseless, horrific evil running amok, of man's inhumanity towards man is beyond words. So the last thing I wanted to hear were the words of Jesus in today's gospel telling us that we must be on our guard, we must be watchful, we must be prepared because in an hour we do not know the Son of Man will come. It just seems to go into fueling that, that sense that everyone seems to be that they're completely on the edge, that people's nerves are already frayed. You saw that Tuesday night, Times Square, a motorcycle backfires <clears throat> and it resulted in near pandemonium as people thinking it was gunfire panicked and started running for their lives. 
We want to hear good news, hopeful news, in the face of this, this other extreme. Especially when we see so many people in the public eye, whether they're celebrities or politicians or media people, who are responding in ways that aren't trying to work together in meaningful ways to get at the root causes for these atrocities, or even just to come together to mourn and to heal and to respond on just basic human levels. But the church doesn't give an option to pick another gospel, to look for a more comforting, consoling image of Jesus. Yet with a little more time and a bit more reflection, I realized how providential these readings really are, how they are words that we kind of need to hear. In the first reading, we heard from the Old Testament book of wisdom, and that passage recalled the Passover. Well, what was the Passover event? The Jews had been enslaved by the Egyptians. That was a time of discouragement, a time of suffering, a time of complete desolation for the Israelites. But the scriptures tells us that despite that reality, they were people who awaited salvation and the destruction of their foes. And Passover was the fulfillment of that promise as God wiped out their enemies and led them to freedom. That's why thousands of years later, it remains as one of the most important celebrations to the Jewish people. They recall those promises that God made, an eternal covenant with his people, which continues to this very day. In that second reading, St. Paul elaborates on the story of our Jewish ancestors, telling us how they were people who lived in faith. And what did that mean? That meant that they were led to places they did not know, in ways that they did not plan, that they experienced restoration and fulfillment in ways they never could have imagined. How? Well, it was probably one of the most beautiful lines in that whole passage that Paul says, that they were looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and maker is God. They recognized that where they were, what they were experiencing, all the evil, all the setbacks, all the fears, that wasn't their destiny. That wasn't the way things were supposed to be. They were God's chosen people. They were his beloved. He had made a covenant with them. And they lived in faith when they remembered that. They lived in faith when they repented of their their sinfulness for the times where they broke the covenant. They lived in faith when they recalled God's faithfulness to the promises of the covenant, even when they hadn't held up their end. And it's when they revisited those memories of how God had proved himself trustworthy and renewed themselves in that vision that they were able to move past all those temporary sorrows, all those things that were undermining their faith, past all the trials and struggles that they were facing, and to continue moving forward to the promised land. Those two scriptures help to put the gospel into a fuller context, where we can recognize it is a message of hope and a charge to lift our dispirited spirits and to confront not only the evil of the world, but the seeming indifference and the apathy or the dispiritedness that seems to be weighing so many of us down. Because in this gospel, Jesus is challenging us to be people who, like our Jewish ancestors, were people of faith. 
people who remember that we know we have a God who saves. We have a God who destroys our enemies. That the God of Abraham still calls his people to newness, still will accomplish miraculous things with and in and through each and every one of us. And we should have an even greater confidence in that fact and a deeper appreciation of what God does because we have experienced even more miraculous things than our ancestors ever did in Jesus Christ. The God of our ancestors has become one of us and one with us, fully divine and fully human. And Jesus has shown us the way that leads to that city, to his eternal kingdom. He tells us again to follow him in his way, to not be distracted by the things of this world, but to keep our eyes focused on him and on his kingdom. And one primary way is hearing again that importance of letting go of all that's unnecessary and that's attached to this world. Sell your belongings, Jesus tells us. But we're to have an even more expansive understanding of that. In other words, don't be people of this world who find our self-worth our affirmation, our value in material things, in the things of this world. But to keep making the choice to be people of God, who find our value in Him and in His love for us, and recognize we encounter Him, we see that, that love multiply when we help those in need. It's in making that choice, Jesus tells us, that we reveal what we consider our treasure, what's most important to our hearts. That might seem kind of insignificant when we look at such dramatic examples of evil in the world. How does helping someone who's poor, someone who's in need, combat those forces of darkness? It reminded me of something really important that St. Mother Teresa said some years ago. People rightly admire her, her Christ-like example of caring for the poorest of the poor, the ones who were in most need. But what she said is shocking when she talked about us. She once said, the greatest disease in the West today is not tuberculosis or leprosy. It's being unwanted, unloved, uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness and despair and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. The poverty of the West is different kind of poverty than anywhere else. It's not a po only a poverty of loneliness, but also spirituality. There's a hunger for love as there is a hunger for God. Not to oversimplify or trying to diagnose the people who've committed these acts of evil because there's definitely mental and psychological issues, there's cultural and societal problems that all contribute, but no one's going to tell me that any of those gunmen or the man wielding that knife or a teenager tossing a child from a roof, that any of them had their hearts remotely fixed on God's kingdom. There's no way they recalled or perhaps even knew of the history of God's goodness towards his people, of God's promises. But we don't have those excuses. You and I do know. We have heard. We do believe. 
We might struggle with those beliefs in the face of such evil, and that's why the gospel is so perfectly timed. Jesus has gone to hell and back for us. So he's right to expect more from us, his followers, his disciples. How are we addressing the poverty of love that people are experiencing right here in Nutley? How are we serving those needs? May we be his faithful disciples who find that as we engage in this work that he calls us to, that that not only addresses the poverty of this world, but that we don't have to have any anxiety then about the master's return. We will already have met him as we've served those he's called us to.